0: This is episode number one with former NFL pro athlete, Charles Bentley. Roger Crawford once said, being challenged in life is inevitable, being defeated is optional. Now this really rings true for me. A year ago I tried to give the podcast a go, but ran into a couple of technical challenges and I ended up throwing in the towel. There was no real reason, I just ended up stopping. So I set some new personal challenges and goals for the new year. And getting started on the podcast again was one of them. Just for at least 12 months and really give it a go and not let any obstacles get in the way. I'd have to find solutions at all costs and if at the end of the year I didn't want to continue, it would be on my own terms and I can be happy looking at myself in the mirror knowing that I really did give it a go. So this is my first podcast, my first episode, sorry. And I have no excuses that is raw well in terms of very little editing and obviously some of my uh, vocab that I use. But I wanted to show the process throughout this 12 months on this journey and I hope that you enjoy following along with myself. So let's dive into this first episode and I hope you enjoy the chat with Le Charles Bentley. All right, we've been blessed with the uh, presence of... Uh, Charles Bentley, former NFL pro athlete, two times Pro Bowl selection through uh, New Orleans Saints before moving on to Cleveland Browns. Is that right? Yes, sir. The great Cleveland Browns. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just quickly, uh, Charles, just a brief background um, leading up to your pro selection, uh, just to give our audience, uh, the young and the old and that, just a, a bit about yourself and that who are watching and listening. I'm from Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so having
1: an opportunity to go back to Cleveland and play for the Browns was uh, a unique blessing and in and, and many different ways. But as I said, I'm from Cleveland, I went to Ohio State, uh, the Ohio State University, which is another tremendous opportunity that I've had in my life. Uh, it means so much to me because I was exposed to so many different unique people and people that still to this day uh, have had tremendous impact on me as a person and as a former uh, athlete. So after I uh, got done with Ohio State, I was drafted in the second round to so New Orleans Saints. I uh, went in, uh, was drafted as a center, but I ended up playing guard for the first couple of years then moved over to center and had a good career. I enjoyed it. A lot of good things happened. A lot of things that, as in any athlete's life, a lot of things happened that you didn't want to have happen. But for me, I can't complain. I've had an extremely blessed, uh, former life as I like to call it and, and it's really set me up substantially for uh, the things that I'm able to do today
0: yeah it's awesome let's uh, take it back a little bit um, you talked about uh, there was quite a few uh, athletes uh, from Cleveland Ohio and that through your college years and that they had a bit of influence on yourself can you uh, touch on a, on a few guys and that and how was it that, that they were able to influence yourself and in they're coming through I think the Biggest impact I've had in my, uh,
1: athletic career would be the environments I've been around. So I didn't start playing high school football until I got to high school. So really I had no bad habits. I had no understanding of what the culture of football was supposed to be because oftentimes here kids may start playing at three, four or five years old and they'll play as far as they can. So, you know, once the culture of football kind of traps you you, you, you sort of tend to get brainwashed by, uh, by it. So for myself, I didn't start playing until high school. So that left me in a very unique space because I was so open to the good and the bad relative to the culture of the game, the, the skill sets of the game. Uh, I was just a complete blank slate. But what ended up happening is my high school uh, coach was a tremendous individual hall of fame caliber uh, high school coach in cleveland ohio uh, coach chuck kyle and the environment that he created was one that was built on uh self accountability so going into my first football experience i was around people from the coaching aspect and the the player aspect in high school they were all about self accountability making sure that if you say you're going to do something make sure that you do it if you're supposed to be on time make sure that you're early uh so that ingrained a lot of positive traits into me then you get to college and it's the same thing there having gone to a school like ohio state there's so much tradition and pageantry that that goes along with such a prestigious institution that you can't help but to fall in line so to speak uh relative to what had been established prior to you and then you come in and having to uphold to that standard uh, then once my last year came around uh, coach Jim Tressel really rounded out my college experience from the uh, interpersonal development aspect of it he really taught me what leadership was he taught me uh, it's really more so showed me who I was was as a person and what I truly was capable of uh, in regards to leadership and, and seeing outside of the box and using the gifts that God had really given me outside of my ability to play, uh football. So that was a very transformative time in my life from the skill set side, the experiences and also my maturation uh as a person. Then in the National Football League, it's just a shit show. You know, it's just you know, it's you know, it's professional athletics and it's a bunch of coaches that just talk and, you know, everybody in terms of the player side, everyone has their own issues that they're dealing with and uh, you adapt to that environment relatively quickly. If you don't adapt to that, then you won't be in it very long. But once you get to that level of football, it's no longer about the game. It's more so about the business side of it. And that within itself is an entirely different beast.
0: Uh huh. So you talked about um, not not really getting into the American football until you got into high school. And were there any uh, type of uh, skill sets that you were able to, Obviously, develop or that you had with you going into the American football uh, environment, going into high school and that, or were you just pretty much picking up games? Yeah, that's a good question. No, I I had no context of the game other
1: than what I saw on TV. I wanted to be a linebacker and i didn't know what the hell that even really was uh, so the first day i was out there i was horrible and they said hey why don't you go down and be with the the guys with the sevens and sixes on their jersey and i'm like those fat dudes and i'm like oh yeah go down there with the fat guys so i went down there and the rest was uh was history but in terms of skill sets yeah i had some uh some genetic gifts that really weren't tapped into because I was just playing street ball. You know, you play street uh-huh. football, you tackle people on the concrete and, you know, you have no <laughs> idea of like, you know, plays or schematics. You have no idea what you're doing, but uh, really going into it. Now, the the biggest thing that I guess I had was my willingness to to fight, so to speak. And that was the one thing that got me over. I didn't go into this game very timid. I went into it saying, okay, well, if I'm gonna do it, my goal is to be as good as I can be at it. And for myself, the idea of being physical didn't intimidate me. I enjoyed that part of it. So that bought me some time until I started figuring out how to do things. I was willing to do things at a very hard, high pace uh, high-intensity until
0: I figured out how to do things the right way. You talked about the um, the attitude in terms of your willingness to, to, to learn as as you got into the, the high school environment and obviously built up from there. Um, then you, you touched on a bit of genetics. Is that, are you talking about family um, coming through there with influential and that, how it um, kind of kicked you on in terms of being able to go from absolutely nowhere and then into the the, the American football environment? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you
1: know, oftentimes here in the U.S., you know, coaches give themselves a little too much credit. You know, oh, I developed this five-star uh-huh. oh, I developed this NFL athlete. Yeah, you didn't develop nothing. You know, typically how it works is when mom and dad, you know, lay down and do what they do when the sperm meets the egg. That's when your pro athletes are going to be born. Uh, that's all really the development that goes into it, especially when you're talking about, again, you know, that elite-level athlete. You know, you can work as hard as you want at certain things. It's just, you know what? It's just not going to be. And I feel that with when you start talking about elite-level athletes, uh, elite being professional, professional-level athletes, and that's all that you do. No, there's just some genetic things there that, uh, even from the work capacity side, that's genetic as well. So uh-huh. look at just the genetic gifts that, you know, every single one of us have had. I think that, you know, we can't get too far away from a lot of that is just we're blessed. We're extremely blessed to be able to have expressed the gifts that we had. Now you still have to work at it and you still got to have yeah. uh, good skill coaching and whatnot. But at the end of the
0: day, you just cannot turn uh chicken shit in the chicken salad. It just is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and so as you're like, um, obviously taking yourself through uh, the high school environment that did you, was there anybody in particular that really, um, gave you the kind of fuel in there to really kick on from there. You talked about a few guys in there just telling you to piss off to the, the sevens and sixes and there were the fat boys in there. Was there anybody in there in particular and that that kind of like really G'd you up and got you kind of like uh, bubbling away and that, that really challenged you? Um, no, I don't think
1: it was anyone in particular. I believe that it was really the environment. And I go back to that environment piece that, you know, for me, I was wide open and I didn't go into an environment where people weren't willing to work. People uh, weren't doing the things that it took to be successful. And I think that for myself, that was important because our high school program was extremely successful and it still is extremely successful. One of the best high school football programs, uh, in the country. And at that time, you know, the best hands down in the state and won a couple of national championships at the high school level as well. But the thing that separated us wasn't our speed or it was uh, an abundance of athleticism. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. I played on the team with a bunch of very average Joes, but that idea of work, that idea of self-sacrifice, I saw how valuable that could be relative to building a team. And that's what I was around early on, was guys that may not have had all of the physical skill sets, but were willing to maximize what they had. And when you put a bunch of people like that in one environment, typically what's going to happen is something very special. And you go the opposite side of it. You can have a bunch of people that are the most physically gifted, in the world but aren't
0: willing to work together and work at it it doesn't matter at that point yeah so we're we're touching on to the uh 2005 when you got selected with the uh the saints the new Orleans saints and that going through your high school and that was there a vision of yourself with 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 uh going american uh football as a pro did that ever touch uh as part of your vision that's where i want to head to yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I used to tell my mother when I was you know,
1: younger and I wanted to be two things. I wanted to be a preacher and a football player. And uh, I got that from Reggie White. And <laughs> mind you, I didn't grow up watching football and being a football fan. I didn't start playing until I got to high school. Uh-huh. So she was like, well, you don't even like football. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to like it one day. So, <laughs> 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 so uh, in terms of vision, I think I'm like it was like every kid. It was you know I want to be a fireman. I want to be a fighter pilot. Uh-huh. All those things that I said it, but I really didn't have any context of really truly what it was and if it was even possible to happen. That didn't really start to formulate until high school again. I start seeing some kids get you know scholarships, and I'm saying oh wow, so they actually will give you a scholarship to play football uh, at the college level, and I'm, they're like yeah, and they. For it, and there's all these things that comes along with it. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, so the first thing I gotta do is become a starter. And then if I can get a scholarship, that moves me that much closer to potentially being in the NFL, because I knew you had to play college football to do that. So I kind of start working my way from there. Once I start seeing some of the kids that were older than myself get scholarships, I think you do what every athlete does. You're like, well, I'm better than that person. Uh-huh. That person, so you start looking around the corner, you can't help it. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, If I can go to football, excuse me, if I can play college football, that's a step. So once I got my offer to uh, Ohio State, that to me was a tremendous step in the right direction. I got to Ohio State. Then you're a part of Ohio State, uh, partly because of their ability uh, to attract NFL attention. I mean, you're going to play on a big stage. It's a tremendous opportunity. And all the players from there that were in the NFL – so I got to Ohio State, and again, I started looking around and saying, well, this player's pretty good, and he got drafted, and this player's not so good, and they didn't get drafted. And he started to look around and say, well, there's going to be a process here. you got to become a starter, at least all conference, All-American, and kind of work your way through. So it wasn't until about my sophomore year when I realized, okay, I can truly play
0: uh, in the NFL. So when you obviously uh, got picked from uh, the, the Saints – being being a homegrown Cleveland, Ohio guy, was did it really matter to you? Did you did you have a team that you really had in the back of your head who you really wanted to play for? Or did it was it just a matter of just I'm gonna make pro and go with whoever picks me? Yeah, you just take whatever they got, man.
1: That's the <laughs> that's the downside of you know how our system works is you just go where they call you. And that's literally literally how it works. You you go when they call you. So the Saints you know, I enjoyed that, and it wasn't exactly uh, you know I wanted to be at Cleveland, obviously, but that you know, you know, to have an opportunity to be in the NFL didn't matter; it could have been anybody,
0: and I would have been extremely excited. Yeah, I think that's uh, very much the same—a um, similar kind of um, concept down in uh, in New Zealand, and that when you're playing uh, professional in the Super Rugby, and that you can only. Uh, have a certain amount in your squad, and that the rest go into the wider squad, and that, and then you get picked up from elsewhere. So, yeah, you probably want to be in that 32 where you're home growing, and that. Right. Unfortunately, it's not always going to go your way, but you get you get that other opportunity, and that way you can obviously get that bit of exposure, and that, and then try and hopefully get caught back back home again, and that. With uh, yourself going to the Saints, and that, how how, how was? your time there versus how you probably wanted to be in there in terms of getting on wow. with coaches and that environment. I loved New Orleans. I yeah. loved it. It was
1: the one of the best chapters in my life. I grew up so much. Um, I enjoyed the city, the culture, the team. You know, that was an awesome experience. I wouldn't go back and do it again, but <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely will put that in my top three seasons of my life, without
0: a doubt. Ah, okay. And were there any coaches uh, through through your? Because uh, how long were you um, with the, with the New Orleans Saints? For? was it about was five, four years? Four, 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 four years. years. Yeah, <laughs> and was it the same coach all the way through, or did you have anybody that was influential there in the coaching staff and that?
1: Mm, it was the same coaching staff and. Uh-huh uh generally i didn't like any of them um and that wasn't because they just they weren't you know they were bad people or anything it was just you know it was the nfl and once you got a sniff of it early on you kind of picked up the bullshit, and you realize that you know it's a business and everyone that says they're for you isn't always for you and you have to start to shift your mindset away from this young naive football player oh uh-huh. it's the team it's the team the team championship championship and next thing you know they're they're cutting you uh so <laughs> you can't fall into that trap so for me you know the coaches they they in my opinion they were co-workers i didn't see uh-huh. them as anything other than that you know we were equals as far as i was concerned because i can lose my job and hell so can you Neither one of us owned the team, and really, at the end of the day, the coaches didn't make that much uh, make that much importance relative to if I were going to be there or not. I understood that if I was good enough, I was going to be there, and if they weren't good enough, they weren't going to be there. So that's how I always moved throughout my career: is I always betted on myself, and I didn't, you know, put too much stake into, you know, for right or for wrong. I just didn't give a give a damn what the coaches thought because at the end of the day I knew that you know if I was going to get cut I was going to get cut because I wasn't good enough and that particular coach or any of the coaches they were going to keep their jobs that's how this business works Uh many of those same coaches that I had are still coaching now the NFL and that's just the nature of this business the athletes are always viewed as commodities you come and you go so my stance was, well, you know what, I'm going to come and I'm going to make sure that I can maximize my opportunity because at the end of the day, I'm going to be gone and nine times out of ten, you assholes are still going to be around. So I didn't put much stock into uh, the coaching staff and what they thought other than, you know,
0: am I playing up to my potential is the only thing I cared about. Yeah. With that With that kind of mindset, it must have been – um, obviously once you caught on uh, about the maturity and and about actually it was all about you and trying to make sure that you did whatever was needed to stay on board and that then that must have played a little bit on your mindset and there about like chip what am I gonna have to do here as you come towards the end of the contract and that you know what that's you're right and what that mindset does is
1: it's lonely yeah it puts you yeah. on an island and all of a sudden You know, you're a former professional athlete, too. You saw, you've been around those guys that their best skill set is their ability to kiss ass. (laughs) And as soon as their lips get chapped, their ability is now not worth anything, and now they end up getting pushed on. But for some odd reason, those guys typically lasted and coaches like those type of ass kissers around and people that are going to be a part of the system and buy in they kind of always stuck around but I never respected those type of people because you don't do things on your own accord you do things just based on your ability to survive And I never wanted to survive. I wanted to thrive in any environment that I was in. So my ability to thrive was going to be predicated on my work and the things that I was going to do to invest in myself. And yes, that's a riskier proposition to take, but it's so much more rewarding. Each and every night I went home and I looked myself in the mirror and I felt good that I did not have to kiss anybody's ass that day, you know, and that really feels good as a man. It feels good as an athlete, but I think Big picture wise, it builds a mindset that you can carry with you throughout the rest of your life. You know, as professional athletes, you know, we get caught up into this world of the here and now. And then when the game and the business is done with us, now we don't know who the hell we are. Well, for me, my time of growth was as a professional, I didn't view meetings as just a meeting. To me, the a meeting was a, a meeting of a Fortune 100 or a Fortune 500 CEO. That's how I saw the head coach at Ohio State. That's how I saw my uh, head coach in the National Football League. These men were CEOs of high-level corporations, and we had team meetings. Those were staff meetings, the way I looked at them. And I never allowed myself to get too far off of that that path because I knew that this game was a, a leverage point. It was something that you can use. Uh, to take you to different levels in life, but if you get stuck here and you allow this game to manipulate your mind and the people in it to manipulate your mind, you never take ownership of your career, thus you never take ownership of your life. That was how I looked at it and again, that's a lonely proposition at times because yeah. you're always betting on yourself and then a moment something doesn't go right, obviously someone's gonna be there to tell you all about it and wanna, oh, you need to do this, do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know how that stuff goes. Uh-huh. But right. I like betting on myself and, uh, you know, I just like to, I, I, there's one person that I fear and that's, that's the Lord. And I figure that if I put my faith and trust there Everything else is secondary and it's going to work itself out. I just show up and do my part. If I show up and do my part, my faith is going to actually yield the fruits of its return, or at least its appropriate return. And that's just where I looked at it. And I didn't want any man or any person feeling as if they had dominion over me. There's only one man that I fear. And uh, unfortunately for many men out here, he just don't live on this earth. Uh
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, with, with your experience there and obviously coming through, um, you must see a lot of uh, the guys that you work with at OLP, and that you must see them coming through at different levels there. You must have a lot of guys who are young, new, inexperienced, and then you have some guys in there that have been there probably for about three, four years in there. How's uh, that as yourself as a coach there now, obviously sitting on the other side of the fence, working with these guys? It's, the, it's so funny. It's the exact same thing. Uh-huh. You you go through this
1: process of trying to get the players to identify who with who they are. And again, in this business, you know, a kid goes through high school football, goes through college football, and all of a sudden he gets to this part called the National Football League and get ready to make that transition. Now everybody comes to that person's life and they tell or try to convince that athlete that you need me. And meeting what I meet me is you need me as an agent. You need me as a marketing person. You need me as X, Y, or Z. And that's what we're sold. We're sold this idea of being needy. So all of our sovereignty as as men, our sovereignty as athletes, we are give it away. We give our value away to some other, some other person because all of a sudden we think that they're going to make us. Well, they didn't make you in high school, they didn't make you in college, and they're not gonna make you in this next phase of your life. So what we go through is this transition with our young athletes of you know, removing them from the matrix, so to speak, yeah. where now we're trying to get them to take ownership of their lives, take ownership of their careers. And yes, there's a distinction between our year one guys and the year nine players. Yeah. And sometimes you hear those players that are gonna be up in age and they make little comments relative to how some of the young people think. It's like, dude, you used to think the same way. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got to remind them. But, but the moral of the story is, yes, it's, it's a great uh, opportunity to see that distinction between the young-minded athlete and an older veteran uh, mindset. And there's so much growth that happens between year one, year two, and then year two to year nine, if you're lucky enough to get that far. Uh, so much growth that happens. But it's very cool to see it and be a part of
0: it. Yeah, it must be uh, uh, different where you are situated now um, versus where you were back uh, uh, whether it was uh, 2008, 9, or 10 when you had the uh, the knee injury and that. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk us through that process and that and how you were coping or going through that. Yeah, that was the best part of my life, and it's kind of.
1: You know, ironic to say that, but you know, that was a unique time where I was being prepared for where I am now. And I didn't understand it, but having gone through my knee injury, which was a patella tendon rupture, but the subsequent uh, staph infections, infection, just plural, and I almost died, and my leg was gonna get cut off. And then it was 70 some days in a hospital, being told I was gonna die each and every day. It was uh, a unique Experience.
0: Yeah, well, how were you feeling at that time in terms of your own mindset going through? If you remembered back to that, uh, my mindset at that
1: time was it was interesting. Yeah. I got hurt, and then it's like, well, this is a part of the process. You know, as an athlete, you sign up to get hurt, and all right, you get hurt and you move on. <laughs> but what was unique with this situation was the subsequent staff infection. Like, you don't sign up for that part yeah. of. Uh, of, of life, or business, athletics. So, the staff infection really set set me back, and it ended up being four subsequent surgeries after the original uh, patella surgery. And after each surgery, the mindset was still, you know, okay, can I play football? Can I play football? Can I play football? And Prior to the first surgery, subsequent the uh, initial patella procedure, so I was dealing with the infection at this point, the doctor flat out told me he didn't think I was going to live because I was septic at that time, so the wow. infection was throughout the body. So he said, well, you know, we're going to put you to sleep, but we're not really sure if you're going to wake up. <laughs> so-, so I was like, well, okay, great. If I'm not going to wake up, and if I do wake up, the best option would be that uh, I'll be an amputee at that point because they thought they were going to take the leg off. Uh, I, at that point, said, Well, you know, I'd rather just not wake up at all. So I chose at that point that, I, that I'd rather die than to lose my career or lose my leg, which is the biggest uh. freaking pop out that you can make. <laughs> but at the time, being 26 years old, I was. Back in Cleveland, I was the highest paid center in the history of the National Football League. It was a full circle deal, meaning I've been from Cleveland, Ohio State, back to the Browns. I mean, it was, you know, life couldn't get any better. Hell, two weeks before I just shot a McDonald's commercial and life was good, man. And it's still good now, don't get me wrong, yeah. but it was relative to being a 26 year old that's now reached this point in your life, in your career where everything has come to fruition, everything has come full circle, and to be able to do it back at home, dream come true. But on the end of the first day of training camp, tore my knee up, and then never played football uh, again after that. But my mindset was very limited and short-sighted, so I didn't want to live. And so I went through a period there while I was in a hospital that each day the doctor would come in and say, you're not out of the woods yet. Meaning at that point, after that first um, debridement surgery, dealing with the infection, uh, my leg was left open and stuffed full of gauze. And they were just kind of hoping to see if the medicine and whatnot would be able to uh, deal with the infection. But what ended up happening is it was an increased fear that the infection could have gone to my heart, my liver, my lungs, and I was going to be done. So for 70-some days, that was the the, uh, the temperature, so to speak, of my situation. And for those days, each, each day I kept saying to myself, well, if I'm not going to play football, i might as to just check the hell out of here. And it was just not a wow. good space and place for me. But eventually, as every athlete, as soon as I got a little bit of hope, that, uh, I wasn't going to die and that there was going to I was going to keep my leg. My first thought goes back to, okay, well, how long before I can play football? Yeah. So the doctors are all just like, you're not going to play football anymore. So I went through a few more surgeries and I had this really good idea because the last doctor said, look, uh, we're not going to do any more operations because there was a fear that part of the infection still could be dormant in a joint. And if I were to have another procedure and put another patella tendon in, and if that got infected, then it was just going to be no good. So my thought was, well, I'll just take what I have with a bunch of scar tissue at that time. And I said, well, you know what, since they want to operate on me, I'll just train really hard. And if I tear the tendon or tear the scar tissue, now I'll force them to operate on me. And not <laughs> not understanding that with tendon, the more stress you put through it, yeah. the stronger and thicker it gets. So what ended up happening <laughs> is I was training my ass off. I'm training, training, training. I'm squatting. I'm doing everything I can to try to tear this damn tendon or at least the scar tissue that I had. And the blessing was it did not happen, but ended up forming thicker and thicker scar tissue. So I ended up building a bit of scaffolding over the last little pit, a little bit of a patella that I did have. I developed this really thick, hardened, um, scar tissue that acted like an extension mechanism so I could actually extend my leg. And so I kept training and thinking that, okay, it's going to tear. No, it was never going to tear. So finally the doctor says, look, uh, I kind of see what you're doing and what you're actually creating here is a thicker tendon so hey keep it up (laughs) so i'm like all right am i gonna be able to play football he's like no but this would be good for you for life and so i just kept doing my thing and uh lo and behold it got to the point where the same doctors that had told me i would not ever play football again actually passed me on a physical later so I can resume all football activities because I started back getting fully, relatively fully functional and actually could play football. And so I went through that process and uh, I got bigger and I stronger and I still wasn't exactly the same, but it was just, it was two exhausting years of rehab and Uh therapy and learning and dieting and nutrition and supplementation and traveling around the world seeing different experts on X, Y, and Z. All the while, I'm thinking I'm getting ready to come back and play football but I was being prepared for something else. So the day that I actually passed my physical, that following uh, spring, I went out to football practice in Cleveland. And I remember going onto the field for OTAs and minicamp. And I stood at the end of the field, and I said to myself, man, I almost died for this shit, and nobody cared. I sacrificed my family, my kids, and I had given up everything to pursue this idea of – fulfilling my go- my goals, my dream. Uh, and I just realized that my life wasn't worth it in terms of giving up so much of what had uh, mattered to me or what more so had became more important to me, which was family, which was my kids. I wasn't as selfish and self-driven because I knew that if I got back into it, it was gonna become an all-consuming existence. So that day I decided, you know what? I'm done. I passed my physical and I can play, but I'm probably not going to be exactly the same, but I did what everybody told me I couldn't do. So I came in the next day and told the uh, general manager to cut me and I was
0: done playing football. And that was history. That was it. (laughs) And so so between your retirement and obviously building uh, the OLP uh, Academy and so forth and that, what were you, doing to keep yourself busy between that time well it was interesting
1: because as soon as i got done this whole idea of what i wanted to do came to me and i wanted to get back into the game because i knew i still had a lot to give and all this this knowledge that i had learned or developed you know from dealing with my injury from nutrition and and biomechanics and strength uh-huh. and conditioning and all and then your tactical knowledge as a player like there was so much that i had in my head i'm like okay what the hell am i gonna do with this so that's when the lord really started to work in my life and started to put the right things in a place that i can now take what he had given me in my experiences and now start to convert that into what uh it was all intended to be used for so now i sat down one morning and i had this idea that i was going to open the first brick and mortar facility dedicated solely to working with offensive linemen. I only wanted to work with high school kids, only high school kids. And so I drew up, you know, what at that time looked like a business plan. There was a bunch of stuff on (laughs) a piece of paper. And I had all, you know, what what I was going to need and how much I was going to make and all the people that I would have. And I picked the right location. And it was a home run as every single business plan is. it's a home run it's a no-brainer right just this is it it's shooting fish in the barrel so I go out and I open the facility and I'm going to now focus solely on offensive line and it's something that had never been done before and I got laughed at and I was told it was never going to work and what people didn't understand was I didn't truly want a training facility. That's not what I wanted. That was just going to be my entree into where we are today. I wanted to be able to impact people's lives, but you got to start somewhere. So I took what I had and what I was considered at least as a viewed as an expert in, and I began to work it from there. So with all that uh, being pointed out, I was now able to open my facility with the intent of working with high school kids, and I could not get one high school kid. I could not get one player. I went around and met with every high school coach, like 40-some coaches in the area. And every single one of them told me, eh, we got it all figured out. And some coaches hadn't even won a game in two years, but they had it all figured out. So wow. this was the first uh, enlightening element in terms of now being a former player, you know, you're nobody. You're <laughs> nobody now. And, you know, you've gone through it. Like you just whatever. You're nobody. It doesn't matter who you were you're a nobody now. And now this is when the rabbit has the gun. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you're the guy, everybody wants to be a part of you. But now when you're done, you want to get back and help and give and be a part of the game and the business and the game says, nah, we're good on you." like, okay, that makes no sense to me. So any home, I went around and met with a bunch of coaches and I couldn't get into high school kids. Uh, so for six months or so, I sat in this facility that had built out and I had nobody, but it was a blessing. It was a blessing because I had to go, I was still going through some healing uh, myself. And then one day, you know, this uh, eight year old, nine year old kid walked in with his dad. And I'm thinking, oh great, I got a customer. And all they wanted was an autograph. And I'm like, oh God, this isn't (laughs) gonna work out too well. So I said, hey, you know what? You play football, why don't you let me work with your son? and the guy says hey this is great no problem so he comes in one saturday and i start working with him and there's a bunch of eight-year-olds and he brings another kid the following week and another kid the following week and next thing i know i got about 15 eight nine-year-olds and that's that was once a week and i loved it because now i was learning how to teach dealing with those eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds they have a very short attention span and you know being a former athlete and you have all this information you want to give it from a top-down perspective where it's too high up top and then it doesn't trickle down to the youth level so they can't connect so i had to work my way back up the ladder which was the best thing for me because now i'm learning how to teach so in the interim i was running my facility and i got it to the media so i had a radio show in cleveland that was a prime time show that i got really good at and loved it I was working with the Big Ten Network. I had a a live TV show on the Big Ten Network. Uh, I was doing a bunch of radio stuff. I was writing. But everyone thought that I was trying to get into the media. Wrong. I didn't want to be in the media. I only wanted to learn that side of the business. I wanted to learn the marketing, the advertising, the relationships. What did proper media look like? That's what I wanted to know. So, you know, ironically, I got actually pretty good on the media side and it was making good money, had good sponsorships uh, and really good relationships. And everyone thought that that's where I was headed. But no, I kept working with my business on the side because what the media was doing was helping me learn how to communicate, working with the young wow. athletes, helping me learn how to teach. So I was building this portfolio, so to speak, in my mind where... The business side, I knew where I wanted to go, which was all based on my experience in the media, my communication skills, my ability to relate a message. I had to learn all that stuff. And then you reduce it down with the facility and the young athletes. Now I can now learn how to communicate, teach, and educate young kids. And I put things into a bite-sized vernacular or learn how to put things into a teaching curriculum, which can now be delivered. So anyhow, that was the first two years or so uh of the business and working in the media working with my kids and i started to kind of grow on from there when you know i got maybe one or two other high school kids and maybe one other pro athlete and then the business kind of started going more towards the pro athlete and i decided i don't want to work with high school kids anymore <laughs> and we went for four Plus year, a four and a half years I stayed in Cleveland, and then decided that I wanted to move the business down here to Arizona, because at that point, had about fifteen all pro or pro athletes that I was working with, and I was very selective with the athletes that I worked with.
0: uh, Selective from the, down that area. Getting it. And, and most of them were from down that area from from Arizona. Is, is that why? Or? No. Oh, Here's right. the
1: cool part about it. So. I had about 15 pro athletes in Cleveland and I knew I had a viable product when I had a player that grew up in the South, uh, meaning he was in from, he's from Alabama. Uh, He played uh, in the SEC at a Southern school. His uh, NFL team was in San Diego. And then in January, he would come to Cleveland. And January in Cleveland is cold and snowy. So we had someone that had never been up north his entire life, but then he commits to coming up north every year because he wanted to truly get better. So that's when I knew I had a product. I had these young NFL athletes that were hungry enough and willing to come to Cleveland. It's not like being in L.A. It's not like being in Phoenix or Miami or wherever. Cleveland is not the place you want to be in offseason to train. Uh But I had about 15 guys that were diehard, committed, and they were all hand picked. And I wanted the right type of athlete that I knew I couldn't get the first round picks. I knew I wasn't gonna get the top draft picks or the top players in the NFL. I had to get those guys who were gonna be at the bottom and willing to sacrifice and do whatever it took to get to the top, so to speak. And I identified those type of players and I invested into those players and how the model itself was built out. I took uh, a heavy interest in the player because everything was worked on sweat equity. Sweat equity meaning this, instead of the agent coming along and taking X amount percentage from the player, Mm -mm. I take a commission on the player, I'd invest into their housing, their food, and I didn't, you know, like some guys invest in the real estate, I invested in the people. So the idea was to invest into these guys early where as they grew through their careers and they started making more money, then that's when you would uh-huh. get paid on the back end. So once I had those 15 or so guys that all of a sudden went from undrafted to practice squad, to starter to now second and third and fourth contracts, that's when you're saying, okay, I got something here. Because I wanted to build out, as I said, a, an element of the business that I didn't have to worry about. Oh, Johnny doesn't want to train here anymore. Johnny doesn't want to be here this week, and all the business you can't you can't manage your books that way. And as you know very well, you can't trust pro athletes. What I mean by <laughs> trust them is you know they train one week and then take two weeks off, and then like no, I don't want to deal with that stuff because that impacts your business. So I got the right people. I invested in them. They were committed to what we were doing and trying to accomplish in their careers. And then you got paid on the back end. So when the players were actually training, there was no money to be made. When the players started playing, it's when you actually made money. So that's how I was able to sustain the business uh, is to early on investing into people and making sure that you gave them legitimately everything you had because if you did it, it was going to hurt you, not just hurt them. Uh, and so as I kind of went on through that, I moved to AZ. And the business continued to take off from there relative to the training side. And I got even more specific about the type of people that I wanted to be around uh, because the business was growing. And if you did not want to be with me when I was in Cleveland, well, now you want to be here because the weather's nice. No, nope, not the person I want to be around. I want the right people. And now we're up to about 30 pro
0: athletes. And
1: uh, if that's just one element of what we do on uh, under the OLP brand.
0: It must have been a, like, like you know, obviously a, a tough process for you to go to work through first because you obviously wouldn't have seen that business model uh, straight out and obviously picked that off. That definitely wouldn't have been the one that you had drafted on your, on your piece of paper when you first thought like, yeah, here's the money maker right here. <laughs> right. That's exactly it. It's so funny you say that because you know, a lot of
1: coaches in Cleveland were like, oh, we put him out of business and, oh, we ran him out of Cleveland. No, they did not. I left <laughs> Cleveland because it was the best thing for the business because it had grown uh, so much. But, you know, I just think it's funny uh, to your point is that, you know, when you start off with anything, you kind of think, okay, I'm going to go here. And all of a sudden, you kind of have to always stay adaptable and be able yeah. to take yourself yes. where the opportunities show up.
0: Yeah, there's obviously a, a saying uh, that goes along the lines of, you know, you don't have to change your goals, um, but you change the way you get there and that every time and that, you know, sometimes yep. you've got to be, really, like you just said, you've got to be adaptable on that. Um, and if you don't, you're not going to make it to where you want to try and head to And that. Sometimes you probably won't see where you're trying to go in that. But if you're adaptable on that and if you're willing to, to put, put the work in, you're, you're, you eventually find your way there. That's exactly it, man. exactly it. And that's that's something that we learn as athletes. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: You learn that as an athlete and you know what? It's interesting that so many of us as former athletes, we don't tap into those skills and traits that the game gave us. (laughs) We leave the game, and we think that we have no more value because I can't block anyone or you can't run the ball or whatever it might be, like no, 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 all of those things that made us who we were, that were the intangibles that's part of why we were where we were, but we leave the game and it's like, oh, I have no more value, no, we have so much more uh, depth and and context to be able to give, and I think that. When we as former athletes connect with that and we take ownership of that, business business is easy if you just understand that at one point in time, I was the best in the world at X. Yes, I had some genetic gifts, but I really worked my ass off too. And on top of that, there are some experiences that I've had that are going to carry over to this business world that are going to make it that much easier for me. But, again, I think sometimes we leave our sport and we leave all of the
0: gifts that we've acquired, we leave them on the field, which to me makes no sense. Talking about um, before uh, as, a, as a family man and that, and then obviously leaving the game once you went onto the pitch and thought after going through the hard process and that, that you went through, through the dark times and that, it just wasn't worth it and that. How's being a father kind of like giving you a new perspective in life and that?
1: Oh, that's a great question. It is the it's the best thing for me. I have five boys and one girl. And (laughs) I think it it rounds out my life. And when it also does it, it it gives me perspective. Because there's certain things I want to do and certain things that I may want to say. But when you have little ears and little people that always (laughs) it kind of just puts things in the right context for you. But uh, that has been a tremendous blessing for me in terms of you know keeping me grounded and yeah. uh, rounding out life in a very positive way. Has been my family and the
0: kids. Um, as we as we wrap up on here, Charles um, if there's one piece of advice that you'd uh, tell your, let's say, eighteen year old self, and what would it be, with all your learnings and all that? Hmm. If I
1: had to give my eighteen year old self one piece of advice you know what you know what it would probably be stay true to who you are stay true to who you are i think that's what i would tell myself and i think i would tell myself that only because i know the value of it now Uh at 18 I didn't quite understand the real value of staying true to who you were. It was just more of a, a stubbornness and just, I'm gonna be defiant, I'm gonna do things this way. And that was a part of my nature was being a bit stubborn and go bullheaded. But man, I tell you, I think as I'm watching kids in society today, we give that up too quickly. we try to conform and by conforming we lose context of who we are as people and i think we really don't have the capacity at that point to truly explore the depths of who we are and why we've been put uh on this earth and what god's will is for us in our lives so if you can stay true to who you are i think that gives you the best opportunity to fulfill your promise that
0: you have and feel the promise that the Lord has given us. Wow, that's powerful, Charles. mate, thanks for uh, blessing us with your your presence uh, for 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 this episode and that. You know, um, there's, there's obviously a lot that that, that the youngsters um, of of today's world and that could take from from your learnings and that obviously going forward about pushing hard and and not giving up and that there'll be a lot of dark times in that, but there'll also be solutions there. You're just going to keep pushing through the, the the walls that are in your way and that find different avenues and there to try and make sure that you still continue to keep going. You bingo, man. You, that's, that's exactly it. Exactly it. Thanks for your time, brother. Okay, we'll definitely uh, catch up again in, in, in the future. If uh, people are trying to find you on the social media and trying to follow you, where, where's best to find you?
1: Uh, I think the... Yeah, let me think for a second. I think the um, Instagram is is a couple of them. You have OLP Media, OLP Train, and OLP Academy. And then uh, on Twitter, I believe it's um, at OLPerformance on Twitter. Awesome.
0: I'll make sure I have that written on uh, on, on on the post on there, so that everybody can uh, find out where you're at and follow you through. Thanks yeah, again so for your I time, brother. So, yeah. Thank you. Okay, man. Stay blessed and we'll catch up again. Hell yeah. So I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And Lachaza is not just a great footballer. He's also an amazing human being. He shared so many invaluable lessons with us. And I hope you were able to take one or two things from it, whether it's to apply to your own life or you've had experiences that are relatable to certain situations. Now, I just ask one more thing from you, and that is, if you really like this episode, to please leave a rating, give it a like, and pass this on to someone that could be inspired by the story that is shared. I truly appreciate your time, and I will see you on the next phase.